Amen, amen. Hey, if you would grab a Bible and get with me to Matthew chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible with you and a seat back in front of you, you can find a copy of God's Word there. And if you don't own a Bible, leave with that. That is our gift for you. It's a joy to walk out of first service and see those black hardcover Bibles underneath people's arms as they were leaving with a copy of God's Word that they didn't have before they walked in. So we praise the Lord for that and want you to take it if you need it as well. The book of Matthew, if you're newer to navigating the Bible's first book of the New Testament, uh, we're going to be there in Matthew chapter 20. Um, as you settle in there, I, I want to start with a, um, a question that may sound a bit odd. It may even uh, strike you as a bit blasphemous. Um, but the question is this, what, what if God's kingdom isn't fair? What if God's kingdom isn't fair? Because this, this parable that we're about to jump into today when you read it and you process it from our own human mind and logic and understanding and kind of the way our world works, you, you read this parable and in our humanity we want to go, this, this doesn't seem fair. And in fact, like if, if, if the way this parable played out like in your workplace or even in your own home this week with your kids as you, as you handed out responsibilities around the house, you, you would hear cries of that's not fair. What, what if God's kingdom isn't fair and what if that is really good news for every one of us in here? We are spending the summer in these parables. About a third of the recorded teaching we have of Jesus is in the form of parable. And uh, we've been using this quote from Joel Beakey. He's a seminary president and Bible scholar out of Michigan. And he helps us understand a bit what we mean by parable. A parable is an extended simile or metaphor that explains aspects of spiritual truth in everyday terms. And as we said in, uh, a couple weeks ago, Jesus was the master of this. He would, he would be navigating just normal everyday life, and, and he'd stop and he'd pull something out just from people's normal everyday rhythms, and he would make deep and profound spiritual truths and spiritual impact out of these. And, and this is what we're looking at with these parables. And, and we acknowledged in the first week when we started this series, when you come to parables in the gospel, you can kind of sit there sometimes and scratch your head like, I don't, I don't quite know if I understand what this means. And that's why it's really important when we're studying the parables, just like any other portion of scripture, that we begin to investigate the context around the parable to see if that will help get, get us an understanding of why Jesus is telling the specific parables that he is. And so before we jump into this parable, I, I want us to do some of that context work. And if you would flip back one page or look back one page in your Bible, in Matthew chapter 19, about halfway through the chapter, you, your Bible probably has a heading that says something like this, the rich young man or the rich young ruler. Uh, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know a little bit about that story. Uh, a rich young man walks up to Jesus and he says, teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is setting his heart up in a great way. He's like, you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this. And, and the rich young man's like, awesome. I, check, I have done all of those things. And now Jesus has his heart right where he wants it. And he says, oh, one more thing. Go and sell all that you own. Give it to the poor, then come follow me. And if you know the story, the rich young man walks away. Do you remember what the Bible says? Walks away what? Walks away sad. He walks away sad. And Jesus is using this encounter to pull out and reveal his heart to him. 
that he is not in a place where he is ready to surrender all in following Jesus. But it's in that encounter that, that um, the disciples are watching this and Peter asks a really good question. Because Jesus tells, tells them it's really hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And Peter's like, uh, what about us? We have left everything to follow you. What does that mean for us? And, and Jesus gives a bit of an uh, answer here. Matthew 19, verse 28. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Now, verse 30 is really important to set up where this parable goes that we're going to look at next. Verse 30 says this, but many who are, many who are what? What's it say? First will be, will be last and the last first. And so that's how chapter 19 ends. If you'll flip back to chapter 20, let me just kind of uh, uh, spoiler alert, give the ending away. If you look to the last verse of this parable we're going to study, Matthew 20 verse 16, we find that phrase again. So the last will be first and the first last. And so what that does is it indicates for us that right after Jesus is teaching his disciples about this principle that the last will be first, he launches into a parable to illustrate what that means and what that looks like. That's what this parable is all about. And so uh, the, the whole idea of today is really summarized in this statement I'll repeat a couple of times throughout the morning. It says, God's generous grace means that the last will be first. And that is really good news. Is that not really good news? The only people who don't think that that's good news are people who think they're first. But, but the gospel, and I pray today that all of us are just reminded and rest in the gospel. The gospel message is that a great savior, the true first one, has come to save a bunch of last ones. And that's what this parable begins to unpack. And I pray as we walk through it, that instead of reading it with the, the, the eyes of this kingdom that crosses our arms and says, that's not fair. We instead find deep, a deep reminder, deep rest. And for those of you who aren't Jesus followers yet today, that you would find a, a, a way to receive what this parable has to tell us today. And so I want to read it. Then I'm going to pray, and then I just want us to immerse ourselves in the parable for a bit. Parables aren't just meant to be heard. They're meant to be experienced. They're meant to be seen. And then um, at the end of our time, I want to just pull out three words that I hope drives this parable to, my, to our hearts. So let me, let's read this together. Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. 
And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. And now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. Lord, um, when we come to your word, we come with a deep need to see it with new eyes, to hear it with new ears, to receive it with a new heart. Jesus, you have to give that to us, and you do the moment we believe in you. But Lord, it, it's still so easy for us at times to read things like this from our own human understanding or, or to, to take your word and try to interpret it by the rules of this kingdom. But Lord, uh, we are not of this kingdom. And Lord, we need these deep truths and reminders of how your kingdom works and what it tells us about who you are and your generous, gracious um, generosity to us. And so God, I just pray, would you meet us here now as we study your word? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you look at the beginning of verse 20 there, the, the verse 20, verse 1 begins with this. For the kingdom of heaven, for the kingdom of heaven is like. Um, the kingdom of heaven is, is, right, it's a huge theme throughout all of the New Testament. Uh, when Jesus comes on the scene, he comes proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. That there, there's, this, there's, there's this truth and this teaching for us that those of us who follow Christ, are, we're not ultimately of this kingdom, but we're of a kingdom that he is establishing. And throughout the Gospels, we get these great gifts from the Lord to help us understand in a deeper way what the kingdom of God is and how the kingdom of God operates. And so this parable is helping us understand how the kingdom of God operates. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out. When did he go out? He went out when? He went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius, and you probably have a footnote there in your Bible, if you look down, a denarius was a day's wage for a laborer. After agreeing for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now, um, as, as we read on in this parable, uh, this, we, we get an understanding that this, this landowner is out early. The, the workday is probably going to start at 6 a.m. These, these laborers, these early birds, they're going to watch the sun rise on the vineyard. They're going to watch the sun start to set on the vineyard. They are going to be out there all day, and they agree upon a fair wage. In the parable, the story Jesus is telling, they agree on a fair wage. Uh, his disciples listening to this, when he said, and, and they agreed on a denarius a day, they would have gone, yeah, totally. That's a, that's, that's a fair wage for a, a, a fair, day, fair day's work. Now, this is where it would have got a little bit interesting for the disciples as they're listening to this, that, that the, the landowner would go back out and keep recruiting 
more workers. Verse 3, it says, And going out about the third hour, about nine in the morning, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. And so he doesn't, he doesn't tell them, I'll give you too a denarius. He says, listen, it's nine in the morning, but you know, other workers have been going about three hours. You haven't been hired yet. Go out to my vineyard, start working, and at the end of the day, we'll settle up and I'll give you whatever's right. Whatever's right. This happens again. Verse 5, so they went, going out again about the sixth hour. We're now to noon. And the ninth hour, we're now to three. He did the same thing. And then this is where, like, the disciples would have been like, what? What's going on here? They could have followed the logic a bit up to this point. That's weird. He went back at 9, back at noon, back at 3. It's not really how this works, but they're following it. Then, then this one is, is, is a bit crazy. Verse 6, and about the 11th hour, we're at 5 p.m. now. About the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing and he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And so if you can, if you can imagine, if you can put yourself in the shoes of the people who are out there 6 a.m., watch the sunrise, they've been working all day. They've seen these waves of new workers coming, 9 a.m., noon, three, and now, they, you know, they're all working, they're working hard, it's almost quitting time, and they see this last wave of workers coming. They're going to work about an hour before it's quitting time, and, and this is confusing for everyone. In verse 8, when evening came, it's quitting time, it's time to get paid. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the with the last up to the up to the first so if you can imagine this right it's six o'clock it's quitting time and and the foreman comes out and he's lining everyone up and and the 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 last people the the five o'clockers are at the front of the line and those who've been out there since six in the morning watching the sunrise working all day they're at the back of the line. Now, look at what happens here. Verse 9. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. So, I've got a question for you. If you're a one that's been there since early in the morning, or even if you're down the line a bit, you were there since 9 in the morning. As word starts to make its way back the line that the people who only worked an hour received a full day's pay, if you're at the back of the line right now, how are you feeling? You're excited. You think, surely, if those at the front of the line worked one hour and were paid a full day, they made 12 times what they deserve to make, how if, if, if the landowner has been that generous, how much more generous is he going to be to you? Like, certainly there's going to be a full day bonus, right? So, the five o'clockers go and are paid a denarius, and the three o'clockers go and are paid a denarius, and the noon and the nine, and, and we're now to those who started the day in the vineyard. Verse 10, now when those who hired first came, they think something. They think they deserve something. 
They think they're entitled to something. Verse 10 tells us what they think they deserve or entitled to. What do they think they deserve? More. Can you blame them? That's okay. Say it. You can't blame them, right? I mean, if, if you can imagine that this was how the economy of your workplace worked this week, that some could show up tomorrow and work one hour and get paid a full day, or young people in the room, imagine this Friday your parents walk up to you and say, we got a full work day planned for Saturday. We're starting at 6 in the morning. We're ending at 6 at night, and I'll pay you 100 bucks for the day. And so there you are at 6 in the morning, and you bust it all day till 6 at night, but you got a couple siblings. One of them rolls out at 9, none of them rolls out at noon, one of them rolls out at 5 p.m., and you come to the end of the day, and mom and dad pull their wallet out, and they got crisp $100 bills, and your, your lazy bum of a brother who worked one hour gets a crisp $100 bill laid in his hand. What are you thinking? You're thinking, I better make more than that. That's what you're thinking. And you come, comes to you, and you get a crisp $100 bill laid in your hand. Here's what you want to say. That's not That's not fair. That's not fair. That's exactly what the early birds decry here. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. Now, just so, you know, this isn't a hard question, just a reminder. What did they agree to work for? When they agreed that morning that they were going to work all day for a fair day's wage, how do you think they were feeling about that? They were feeling pretty good. Until some other bums came along, worked one hour, and got paid the same amount. What is up with that? And they have some questions. They have some comments. They have some thoughts. Verse 11, and on receiving it, they, this is a big part of the parable, they what? They grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them, what's it say? You made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and scorching heat. These last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us. And they grumble against the master. They grumble against the landowner. They expected a full day bonus. If the people who worked an hour or three hours or half a day made that, they certainly deserve to make more. Now look at the reply here. And this reply teaches us something about the character, the generous character of a gracious God. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Who chooses? I choose. The master chooses. The generosity he wants to bestow on the last worker. Verse 15, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? And then this is a big statement in the parable. Or do you begrudge my generosity? So, the last 
will be first and the first last. God's generous grace means the last will be first. And that is really good news. In order for us to understand why that is good news, how that is good news, let me, let me just unpack three words for us that I hope will drive the rest that I think this parable has to offer to us, will drive the reminder of the grace of God that I believe this parable has to offer to us, and will hopefully move us away from reading this in our own human eyes and own human ears to think how unfair this is. And, and the first word that I just want to pull out of this is this. It's the word generous. I believe that this parable is a parable of the generous grace of a good God. I believe this parable is a parable about the generous grace of a good God. And I believe there's something that Jesus is getting at here when he uses as the last question that the landowner asked, that the master asked is this, or do you begrudge my generosity? Is it possible for us to begrudge God's generosity? It happens all the time, when, and I know we, we probably know enough not to say this out loud, but it's certainly a mindset that can creep into our heads. It happens all the time when we begin to live of, God, after all I've done for you, God, after all these years of serving you, I look around and it seems that you've bestowed your gracious generosity on others in deeper ways than you have on us. This parable reminds us that we have a richly generous God who, who gives of his grace in richly generous ways, who in his wisdom and in his choosing can bestow generous grace on the last one in the same way that he has the first one. So, so let, let's play that out a second just even in this room. Uh, some in this room may have followed Jesus for 60 years. But the reality of the good news of the gospel message is that should someone come to faith in Jesus Christ 60 minutes before their death, they will also experience the great paradise of God and the presence of God in heaven in the same way. Amen? Amen. Jesus, while hanging on the cross, said to a thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Is that not generous grace of a good God? One of our family's favorite persons, 83 years old, does not know the Lord. And uh, we're just praying. Our prayer has just been, God, keep them with us until they bow the knee to your Lordship. And as I sit in his living room with him and we talk and he, he just says, you have no idea what I've done. There's no way, there's no way, there's no way. Here's what I know is true that the generous grace of a good God is powerful to save him on a deathbed, even after all those years of you have no idea what I've done. This parable is such good news to us of a good God who lavishes his generous grace on the last.
there's a way we respond to it, though, and that the next two words. The, the next word I, I want to pull out is this. It's the word grumbling. We came across this in verse 11 as those who were out there first were being compensated for their work. And then verse 11, it said, and on receiving it, on receiving the denarius, on receiving the, the, the compensation that they had agreed upon, the rewards of their day's work, they grumbled at the master of the house. We grumble against God when we don't get what we think we deserve. We, we, we grumble against the grace of God when we don't get what we think we are entitled to. But as gently as I can, can I just remind us something? Do, you, do we remember what we really deserve from God? His just wrath poured out on us? that was absorbed and taken by a perfect Savior, Jesus Christ, on our behalf when we've put faith in him? What anything that God has bestowed on us is to be met with deep gratitude, is it not? Because he has not given us what we deserve. The only, listen, the only way we live a life of grumbling in response of the generosity, the generous grace that God has shown to us is if we think we actually deserve to be standing at the front of the line. In elementary school, teachers would pull this on us sometimes. It was, I was one of those kids that when the teacher said, line up, we were going somewhere, I always wanted to be, I want to be first. So they say, line up over there. I'm going to win. Everything's competition. I'm going to win. I'm going to be first. And so, like, I was usually one of those kids who was, if not first, towards the front of the line, right? Like, let's go. If we're going somewhere, I want to, I want to be out front. And so we would line up, and then there were certain days that the teacher would then say, okay, everyone go line up, and there would be in front or close to front. And then she, she, he or she would say, now turn around. I hated that. I, I won this spot. I earned this spot. I was the first to the line, and now I'm in the back of the line. It ticked me off in third grade. It makes me deeply grateful at almost 35 that God lavishes his grace on a bunch of backliners like me. See, what makes grace, grace is the rich generosity of a good God who gives it freely by faith in his son. That's what makes grace so good. If, if grace is a gift we don't deserve, grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. There's something so freeing and restful of understanding that my salvation isn't ultimately dependent on years served. It, it, it's not like a pension I'm trying to earn enough years for to pension out to heaven. It also makes me really grateful that, that if God's grace is something I don't deserve, my salvation that's based on that grace isn't earned by me elbowing my way to the front. But all of my salvation rests on his grace who loves to look 
from the front of the line all the way to the back of the line and say, I take as much joy in lavishing my grace on you front of the line as I do you back of the line. So that should lead to this third word, a life of gratitude. Where, where the way we live is from a deep well of gratitude, of, of a God who has generously lavished his grace on us in a way that we don't deserve, in a way that we don't earn over time. And, and, and it should lead to us to, to, to walk out of church today and to say from a deep place of gratitude, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for saving me. I didn't deserve that. I didn't earn that. I didn't win that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for all of the outflows of that gospel reality, of all the blessings you bestow on us. It leads to a life of deep gratitude. Can you imagine what those who are at the front of the line, who worked one hour and were paid a full day's wage, who, who earned 12 times what they deserve. Can you imagine the gratitude they walked away with? As he laid into his hand a, a, a denarius, can you imagine that? Denarius! Honey, order pizza. I got paid today. That's what we do when we get extra money, pizza. And yet, the, the irony of the parable is that those at the end of the line who were given a full day's work, were given a generous pay for the full, full day work, should have just looked at that and said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And so I think the way we live with gratitude in response to an overwhelmingly generous God of grace is, is one, if you're in here today and you've never believed in Jesus, you would say, I'm not a Christian. In fact, if you're honest, you're like, I don't know how I ended up in a church this morning. The way you receive with gratitude what a generous God of grace is offering to you is by receiving his son, Jesus Christ, as your personal Lord and Savior. In fact, like, I don't mean to offend you with this, but for you to continue to stiff arm and say, I don't need the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus covering my sins is a denial, it's an ungrateful denial of what your creator God has done for you. The way you respond with gratitude of a God, like if you're in here and you're like, man, if God showed up today and he was like, I want you to line, line all up on time served of serving me, you're like, I'd be at the back of the line. Line up by, you know, moral aptitude. You're like, ah, back of the line. Guess what? I got good news for you. God loves bestowing his grace on back of the line people. The way you receive that with gratitude is to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior today. God loves us so much that he doesn't make that overly complicated. There's not like some like ritual you have to meet us in the back for, for that. Okay, that sounded really weird, okay? But he says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Like from your heart today, a miracle's about to happen in which the Holy Spirit 
is going to woo your heart to your creator God. Like, he, like he's going to stir affections that you've never felt before. He, he's going to make sin that you used to love. He's going to make it sour in your mouth. And he's going to woo you to himself. And today you are going to call on the name of the Lord and you are going to be saved and your heart's going to be filled with a level of gratefulness that this perfect and holy God who made you actually wants a relationship with you even after all you've done, even after all you've done for all those years. Gratitude comes by hitting your knee and say, Jesus, today is the day I'll follow you. I'm done with, my old, I'm done with the old me. But in that same reality, I know so many of us in our church have walked with the Lord for months, for years, and for decades. This parable is to be responded to in gratitude by you as well. That all of your salvation rests on a deeply generous, gracious God. It wasn't just what it wasn't just what won you to the Lord. It wasn't his, his generous grace that wasn't just what saved you. His generous grace is the power to continue to sanctify you. So you're not won into the kingdom by grace and then seeking to live out the life of the kingdom in your own strength, elbowing your way to the front. Rest in the generous grace of God poured out for you. That you don't have to pension out to get to heaven. That it's not about years served. That it's not about your moral aptitude. But instead, it's this. God's generous grace means the last will be first. And this is really good news. Receive that. Rest in that let that power all that we do this week. Amen. We stand to your feet. Father, we do ask that, Lord, this, this little story you told that we read at times with our old fleshly fallen eyes that we just say, well, that just doesn't seem fair. Lord, would you allow us to read it moving forward amazed at the generosity you pour out from first to last? Amazed that you would make the last first in your kingdom. Amazed by the generosity of your grace in such a way that, Lord, there is nothing that will come this week in which we will begrudge your generosity. But Lord, instead, we would shake our head once again in absolute awe and with deep gratitude and say, God, you're so good to me. God, fill us with that kind of gratitude over the grace that you have poured out on us. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Before I send you out, I want to sing, God, you're so good, but I don't sing. So may that be the song on your heart as you walk out of here today. Redeemer, your love and your sin. Have a great week.